0: I actually did experience a little bit of the postpartum blues and on into the actual depression. Um, I kind of didn't really want it to happen, you know, like black women, we are supposed to be strong Mm -hmm. and, you know, not really be able to talk about how we're feeling. If we're down, I got the child, I got to be strong. I got to breastfeed. I got to, you know, take care of the house. I got a husband. I got all these
1: things. My name is Shazity Stevenson. I've been doing hair for over 11 years. As you know, a woman's hairstylist means more to her than just doing her hair. Over the years, I've put my therapist skills to the test. The salon is a place not only for personal venting, but also for discussion of current events amongst a community of women. So if this chair could talk, this is what it would say. Alright ladies, so today we have a group of moms that I have the pleasure to call my clients as well and we will be discussing all things postpartum, especially hair. Now this is a topic that, although I'm not a mom, for some reason I find myself coaching a lot of moms as far as what to expect, not freaking out, what you know the process is going to look like as far as at least a year out and a lot of times... I find myself being redundant, and I realize that this is a topic that I think a lot of people out there can relate to. So I wanted to get some uber professionals, some actual moms, not myself, because I have zero experience in that department, to share their stories, as well as Dr. Rouse, to chime in and like give us the lowdown on postpartum. So I'm going to start with saying that I don't know if y'all moms were able to get something to drink, but that's the kind of day I had, so... I am I'll be sipping if you are not. So, we will we'll start with you, Natalie. I want you to introduce yourself and tell us the ages of your babies, okay?
2: Okay, I'm Natalie Stringer and I have a 2-year-old and a
3: 5-month-old baby. Okay, that's pretty brand new. All right, Ashley? Ashley Martin, I have Miss Peyton here who is 8 months old and I also have Zoe who is 4. All right,
0: Crystal. Hey guys, it's Crystal Batts. I have a three-year-old son and a newborn,
1: one-month-old um, baby boy. All right, and Dr. Rouse, tell us about your ladies.
4: I have two young ladies, uh, ages 16 and 13. We're enjoying the teen stages, and I uh, wish you guys the best in your there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I told you, they got. we got some pretty new moms. And actually, I think, guys, I had a total of eight clients right now that have under one-year-olds, right? Like, I probably have about five that delivered in the last, like, since the summer. So I hope that they will be tuning in and listening. Um, so we'll jump right in. Dr. Oz, can you give us, like, the clinical medical term on what postpartum is and what it encompasses?
4: So the postpartum period begins the minute you deliver to the first 12 months after delivery. There are different things that occur during that time, and everyone's experience is different. Most women experience postpartum blues, which begins two or three days after delivery, but then gets better about two weeks after delivery. So there's, you know, you're kind of down, you're kind of up, you're trying to figure out how to finagle everything, it's new, if it's not new, it's a change, even if you have mm-hmm. no children, because when there's more than one child on the ground, you're being pulled in all directions. Usually postpartum blues has a finite beginning and ending and things start to get better sooner than later. When it becomes postpartum depression, you kind of don't really see the end at the light of the tunnel and are more bad days than good days. There's several other clinical things that happen. We all go through skin changes during pregnancy those skin changes tend to get better. The further you get out from delivery, our weight fluctuates, the changes associated with breastfeeding, Um, but all these things happen within the first year or so after delivery. Got
1: it. Okay, again, I am like the non-expert in this, so I am gonna be leaning on you ladies a lot to ask the questions and like guide the conversation because I feel like, you know, Everybody has something that they can you know, connect to no matter what aspect of postpartum you've dealt with or experienced. Um, so let's start by Has anyone ever experienced any effects of postpartum? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay. okay. So is it true? Is it a true statement to say that some women never experience it? Is that, is that not just like something that everybody experiences?
4: It can vary. There okay. are some who don't. Only 9% of women experience technical postpartum depression. I think most women experience postpartum blues. Blues, and okay. Different things can make you more and less likely to have it. If you've been depressed or anxious in the past, you're more likely to have postpartum depression. If you've had a stressful delivery or pregnancy, you're more likely to have it. Both of my girls, I had preemies, a 32 and 34 weeker. I didn't bring them home. That was stressful. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was one, the thing that impacted me the most. But it varies.
1: Got it. Okay. So Crystal, tell me a little bit about some of the things like you've experienced and if it was with your first or current, you know, baby.
0: Yeah. So with my first child, I actually did experience a little bit of the postpartum blues and on into the actual depression. Um, I kind of didn't really want it to happen. You know, like black women, we are supposed to be strong Mm -hmm. and you know, not really be able to talk about how we're feeling. If we're down, I got the child, I got to be strong. I got to breastfeed. I got to, you know, take care of the house. I got a husband. I got all these things. So at first it was something that I didn't want to come terms with, but I definitely did experience the depression part and it was tough. I think that there are a lot of things that could have contributed to that, especially my experience in delivery. I mm-hmm. uh, actually had an emergency C-section and had a whole plan in my head of how I wanted my delivery to go for my first child and you know all those Instagram moments I guess you would kind of say (laughs) and it just didn't turn out that way and for me it was very upsetting I wasn't expecting it I was thinking about oh I'm gonna have this you know snapback or whatever and I'm gonna be Right up and out, doing the same things that I was doing what before I had my baby, but I was down for more than eight weeks. Um, recovery was hard. You know, my husband went back to work very, very soon. So it was it was tough. But now three years later with my newborn, I don't have that. I did have the blues, but it's definitely gone now there's no sadness i'm happy you know that i was able to birth my child i did have a repeat c-section but this time i was able to you know know what to expect and it just made the experience a little bit better so yeah i definitely did experience it but um hey it doesn't mean that if you do have it one time that you'll have it again okay all right ashley what about
1: you i saw you raise your hand
3: yeah so i think it's just the postpartum adjustment i would say it wasn't necessarily blues or depression but um you know with 2020 being the year it is i know i came out of maternity leave straight into quarantine with Mm. toddler And then beginning to work from home and, you know, just all those different things that were in motion. So I don't think I was depressed, but I was definitely overwhelmed and my hormones were you know, just trying to balance the baby and everything that was going on there. But I also had to get back into the swing of work and figure out how to have my toddler home with me, you know, 24 seven and my husband was home. Then my mom was trying to visit and, and kind of help with the baby. So it was just a lot of moving parts. That, you know, <laughs> you I, were trying to juggle. Yeah, you know, just trying to, again, be superwoman and, you know, ingest all that and keep the order of, you know, my home because I'm the woman. So, I should be making sure my home is, you know, moving and everything's flowing. So, it was just an adjustment period, definitely, with the latest with Peyton. But other than that, it wasn't bad. Um, I have a great support system, you know, shout out to my hubby, shout out to my mom. So, they tried to take as much as I would allow, but I am, you know, that type A personality that. Oh, me too. <laughs> hold on this is probably
1: why my clients are telling me like you just wait i'm like uh-uh. <laughs>
3: yep even though i had just had a c-section and all these different things i was trying my best to orchestrate everything i could from the bed mm.
1: and i know that's a it's tough to let go of that control but i guess for your sanity and for you know your baby and the rest of your family you have to i guess delegate and you know let other people help you yep
3: absolutely yes.
1: Trust we're it. working progress.
3: <laughs> yeah. Even though it's now, not the way I would have done it, it's getting done. It's so getting guys.
1: done, and that's all that matters.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Natalie. So I saw you kind of were like, "eh." So tell me why you're straddling the fence on that.
2: So I don't know if I really experienced postpartum, and maybe this is something that Dr. Kelly can help me with. So with my first child, I think I was—it was just a new experience, and I didn't know how to um, navigate it. He had kind of colicky symptoms well first of all i was in labor for f- an eternity i had to push for six hours push not just oh just take a break no push keep pushing is that the hardest you're going to go like <laughs> so it was crazy so i came home um to a colicky baby after that and Chassis, i pray you never have a, a colicky baby because that's a nightmare because they cry and you can't figure mm-hmm. out how to fix it and day and night and um so that was challenging for me and so it gave me anxiety but i don't know if i had depression or if i was just like exhausted so what's the difference between uh postpartum and just exhaustion i'm a zombie i'm not getting any sleep
4: you know the the the, the big difference it's a continuum so if those things you describe affect your ability to find pleasure in things one we look there's a term called anhedonia So if nothing brings you pleasure, if the normal things you do don't bring you pleasure, then you're there. If you're tearful, then you're there. If, you know, heaven forbid, there are thoughts of hurting yourself or the baby, then you're there. But the biggest thing is, how does this affect your day-to-day mood? If you just can't get out of the funk, nothing brings you pleasure, then that's it. Okay, well, then I would say I I didn't experience it.
1: Okay,
4: good. Yay! Natalie's
1: personality is just like, She's always like just the happiest person, and that, y'all know my personality. And Natalie comes in sometimes. I'm like, Natalie, I need you bring it down.
2: Free me I know down. I have to cover my because smile. Like- I
1: cannot ever <laughs> meet Natalie where she is, so I can believe that it never really brought you to the things that Dr. Rouse mentioned. So good for you, um, <laughs> but I know that hair issues were a big thing for you so can you tell us a little bit about that
2: so my hair was everything with my first child I mean I had I went natural of course I had the most bangingest rockin'ish, thick afro black power I mean it was beautiful my afro was bomb what I didn't expect was for it to be amazing the first two months and then the third month when I tell you piles and piles my hair was like this afro was like this and then it just did this and then my edges so i struck, so I, was, I still had a little volume to it because you know when you have natural hair you can't quite tell if it's thick or, or thin when i got it straightened i was like wow i have to chop my hair all the has. I, I think you had to chop all my hair off and then we colored it and ball spots it was really um not ball spots but it was really thin and then my edges were shot i mean bald and I remember um trying to figure out what I could do and thank god there are options for ladies now (laughs) that we can use because it's happened again for my second child Um, it took two years for my hair to grow back again and so it's finally getting afrocentric beautiful healthy again and then um had the baby and I kid you not three months later that afro started going back down and now I feel like I need to cut it off again Thankfully, my edges are a little better this time, but the first, it was just bad first time, so I'm thankful I have a husband who's accepting of our different options, (laughs) and and that there are options that are, because I feel like back in the day, the options weren't realistic looking, and now these days, there are realistic options um, that are affordable, and
3: I can rock with at work and stuff. That was the other podcast. (laughs) Oh, I missed it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) About what did the the husband's. Um, have to say about their wives' hair. (laughs) Absolutely. You have to go back and listen to that one. Um, Did anyone else experience, I think, Dr. Rouse, you said you had a few
4: issues with hair as well. The front of my hair became very thin and it's super thin right now and just never grew back. My youngest is 13. My hair grew like a weed when I was pregnant as well. It was thick, it was luscious. It was everything as well. And then completely fell out and thinned and I became natural several years after they, um, after I delivered, but still to this day, I have a thin spot on, I don't know, my right upper side. that just never came back. I just style over it now.
1: And so that's one of, obviously my biggest battles with clients in the chair is first the panicking, like, you know, oh, well first the growth and the health and just long and it's flourishing. Right. And, um, I'm not a kick you while you're down kind of person, but I'm more like less, you know, setting realistic expectations. And so I let them know that there is a possibility because what I don't want to happen is somebody come and they're like completely freaking out. They had no idea this happens. And so I have been told that, you know, usually, especially if you're breastfeeding, that it's going to take a while for the hormones to, you know, regulate themselves. And for that, if it is going to come back to grow back. Is that an accurate statement? Yes.
3: Yes. Okay. Yeah. And my cases.
1: Yeah. Okay. And would you recommend continuing to take your, you know, um, prenatal vitamins during this process as well?
4: Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It may not make a big difference, but it certainly doesn't hurt.
1: So would you say whatever it's going to do, whatever it's going to do? Yes. Okay. All right, ladies. So I won't hear nobody Mm -hmm. sitting in the chair. <laughs> say you said it. it's just it, it is what it is and so um there's really nothing that you can do to prevent it you may or may not experience this but you know you just have to, it's I say you know it comes with the blessing of motherhood right yeah okay I think from
3: a non-professional perspective though you can not help it along Like, try not to stress it out, you know, Mm -hmm. if if it's your weak spot, then maybe let's not go get micro braids or something right (laughs) there, you know, just, just help it to have a chance to grow. Yeah,
1: all that it can be, right?
0: (laughs) I think Um, the expectation of knowing that it's not going to be right back where it was, like, in a month. Like, yeah literally could take like you said two years to get itself together or it might not even come back at all just have to be prepared for that and then when you think about your edges just go get a wig or something (laughs) you know or just look at your child and be like i have a beautiful blessing traded my edges for a blessing
1: (laughs) now see when i say that they're like well you don't have to wear it you know like it, it doesn't sound as good coming from me because you know i can't relate but i i agree i think that you know, it's a small sacrifice for, you know, the bundle of joy that you have in, in front of you. And I, I need you all. I'm going to play this podcast back for myself at some point, because I'm sure <laughs> because I don't know about y'all, but I am my hair. I don't care about that song. I I am. <laughs> so at least I'm not afraid to add, like Crystal said, you know, the things. But I, I think that That's the thing is that sometimes, even though you might know, it's still like, is it real until it actually happens? I even have clients that experience like really extreme dryness. And I would assume that is from, you know, breastfeeding and needing to hydrate, you know, more than you normally would. And it's just, you know, like I said, it's kind of a thing where I'm like trying to repeat myself and like stay calm and. Letting know that you like I said it's gonna be okay. It may or may not come back, but you know, in the greatest scheme of things,
2: sometimes Chastity it does. Edges might not come back, but the but I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but the rest of the hair does grow back and get thick. Because mine came back after I had my first son. It took a couple, like a couple of years, but it, it really started getting back healthy, and I just had to learn how to style it around like the edges. And mm-hmm. my back is just not as thick, so you just had to adapt. A little bit of fuzz, fuzz right there. It just don't have to be pound. it could be a little fuzz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just make I sure you're doing I- baby hair.
1: <laughs> well, I have a couple of clients that their kids are over five, and it's just not the same. It might be long, but like the thickness and the fullness, like the density, just. It's not there. And I don't know if it's that they have less hair or if the strands are thin. I don't, I can't really tell because it's not like broken. You know, it's definitely from the the root. But so I guess it just varies.
3: My mother would swear that I have. It's there's three girls, three of us. Um, she swears that we took her hair, like it will not grow back, it has not grown back. She thought I was crazy because I chopped all mine off, and she's like, Not gonna grow back after the kids, you shouldn't have done that. But oh,
1: god, she has she seen your hair?
3: Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I think I'm gonna be okay, but for right now, I'm going for convenience
1: <laughs> now. Going back to the whole, you, you, she had three girls and they took her hair. I know that is, I don't know, is it like a black people, like a myth that the girls take your beauty or is that like something that all women believe? Is that just us? You Have know, y'all heard that?
4: I did. I read a book called A Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy with My First Pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I forget the author's name, but it was a white woman. She was a, a mom of four or five. And she said that, that girls take okay. your beauty. Um, and I, my my family always said it, but this was a white woman who agreed with that as well. And I definitely, yeah.
1: Would you say you've had any patients that have boys that experience this?
4: By and large, no. With the girls, girls from here to here, we gain the weight, we get the acne, and maybe it's the extra estrogen that's doing it. I don't know. Ah. Let's see. The the boy moms tend to look great the whole time. I think so. I feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was about to say Crystal and (laughs) Natalie. (laughs)
3: I was gonna say was through my whole pregnancy. That same, oh. same. I think I was okay the whole time, but you know, Yes, confident <laughs> clients.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love I it. Say this pregnancy that I had with my newborn son, I did get a little bit of acne on my body, like on just on one side of my arm. Mm-hmm. It's just random, randomly came up, and I was like, what is this? And it's still there now, but I'm just hoping that it'll go away. Yeah. So that was the worst that he gave me. But I'll take that.
2: My boys gave me Audis, a belly button.
0: Oh.
2: And a plastic surgery, so I plan on getting that cut back in eventually. Don't judge me.
1: (laughs) This is a no-judgment zone, okay? No. I mean, it's dead out.
2: Like, I need to get that right on back in.
1: So (laughs) is everybody here done? Yes. We think – (laughs) Kelly said absolutely Natalie I don't know (laughs) okay you're gonna try to go for the girl
2: yeah I want another boy I love boys they're easy breezy I love them
3: okay
1: what about you Ashley
3: I say yes absolutely um I do really enjoy being pregnant I will say that I joked and asked my husband if I could just be a surrogate and then like, can I
2: ask it. her, can I ask
3: what about pregnancy do you enjoy? I don't know. I think it's just a beautiful time. I probably have been blessed with two really easy pregnancies, like being able to stay active and everything, no nausea. So It's just been a really pleasant experience. I tell my friends that that time when you get to give birth in the hospital, it's like the best vacation, all-inclusive vacation. (laughs) They look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, at the hospital, everybody caters to you and you get to pick your food and you get, they're like, no, you just had a kid, but I love it.
1: (laughs) Now, one of my clients was just telling me, she was like, you get a big fat bill, yeah (laughs) and she was uh I was like well how much does Mm. it cost to have a kid a
3: lot I'm gonna pay thousands thousands. I'm about to say maybe by the time my child is three they'll be paid for (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) yeah but I broke it into the smallest payments you know insurance uh health stuff you can stretch it out a little
1: so I don't know if I like that all-inclusive vacation like Analogy, Ashley. Yeah,
3: well, that vacation typically costs,
1: you know, a nice little. But you don't get hey, to, Ashley, you don't second, get the my all inclusive.
2: <laughs> my all inclusive vacation was interrupted several times. So oh,
0: yeah,
2: coming in that didn't annoy you.
3: I didn't. It didn't bother me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, mine actually did feel all inclusive because I was in the hospital during COVID. Mm. So. Mm. It was definitely like a vacation away from home, considering that we've all been at home for a long time. So in that sense, yes. And I think I even joked to my husband while we were there, I'm like, well, you wanted a vacation?
1: Here you go.
3: And maybe that's the thing, like, it's just those two or three days, you don't have to worry about, you know, paying bills or you're not worried about what is the toddler going to eat or, you know, putting clothes in the washing machines. So maybe it's like a mental, you know, you just can focus on the baby, focus on feeding and that's it.
1: So Dr. Oz, how soon are, I guess, I guess some of you ladies can comment as well. How soon, how much sooner than before COVID are y'all getting kicked out?
4: Most patients actually request to go home. So typically speaking with a vaginal delivery, you can stay up to 48 hours after delivery. Um, but a number of patients are trying to leave within 24 hours. Usually the pediatricians like the baby to stay at least 24 hours. And then okay. a lot of moms, pre-COVID and even now, if they have other kids at home, some are more inclined or to leave early to get home to that other baby. And others are like, no, I need to stay as long as I can. C-sections right. are two, three to four days. <laughs>
1: You trying to extend the vacation? I try
3: to stay. I try to stay as long as I could.
1: <laughs> wow. Let me ask you this. So we talked about you know having the support system and things like that as far as trying to handle you know the postpartum blues or depression. What other strategies or um, things have you found that you would su- uh, suggest to you know mothers expecting or planning to have children to kind of try to avoid or be prepared as possible when giving birth. So we'll start with, we'll start with you, Ashley. Well,
3: coming from a type A, I think (laughs) the preparation is what really helped me to not be stressed out um, once everything happened, trying to knock everything out that you can ahead of time. I'm a big Advocate for breastfeeding, so you know learning everything that you can about breastfeeding beforehand, so that when you get to these two a.m. babies not latching, all these crazy things are going on, you are expecting it, or you know you at least had an idea that that was what was to coming. Happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you feel a little more prepared, but the same thing as far as like paying your bills, if you can pay your bills ahead of time, you know, make sure to have some frozen meals, you know, make sure to have someone, maybe a teenager who's going to walk the dog, whatever things you can kind of put in place to where you're able to just really come home and focus on the baby, focus on, you know, your recovery and not have to worry about all those other things, I think it makes it a little easier.
1: Okay. All right. Dr. Ross, what would you say?
4: I think just kind of talking to friends, situations like this, getting good information. I always tease my patients when they come in, we do the fun stuff and then I say, okay, this is what's really going to happen in the next few weeks. And a lot of it's not fun. And I always say that I wish that baby showers had more of these kind of conversations because Mm. we all go through it, but no one talks about it. No one Mm. talks about the frustration of having to get up at two o'clock and feed and, when your mom and your wife and you're back at work, all the, the just the juggling game that comes, in, that comes into that. It's a transition to motherhood. Our hospital actually offers like a little prenatal class called Transition to Motherhood that kind of talks about some of those things and just kind of figuring out how to schedule things, how to make everything work. And then get as much help as you can. I think some of you ladies said you had mother-in-laws or moms who came in to help. Not all help is good help, but <laughs> if someone who can come in and give you some assistance and it won't drive you nuts to have them around, take all the help you can. You can't do it all, you don't need to do it all. Get as much help as you can. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind is that things that happen during your delivery and pregnancy can kind of set the tone for your postpartum experience. So having an emergency cesarean section is something that kind of throws you off kilter. I tell everyone when you come into the hospital, baby's in control. We do what the baby Mm -hmm. says. If the baby's tolerating this experience well, things will go as expected. But the minute the baby doesn't look well, we'll do what we can to get you and baby out safely. So just kind of relinquishing the control and just kind of going in the moment, knowing that we have your best interests at heart kind of helps so that some of these things aren't as traumatizing or kind of setting you up for having a not so great postpartum experience.
1: All right, Crystal, do you have anything to add to what either of these ladies said?
0: Yeah, I actually agree with both of them, especially the breastfeeding portion, um, the middle of the night feedings. I think even for formula fed babies, you still got to get up in the middle of the night and feed the baby. So just being prepared for that and having a good partner, whether it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, husband, wife, whatever, just make sure that you have somebody there to just be a coach for you and advocate for you. It may, or even a doula, I don't know, whoever it may be, somebody that can just have your back and just be there for you because you are going to need someone. There's no way that any mom could just do this by herself. I mean, I just, if you can and you're out there, please let me know what your plan is and how you did it by yourself because I would love to know because I like to do things on my own. But I know that having a good partner is, the way that I need to be able to handle my postpartum, handle the pregnancy and all, all of that.
1: And Natalie, anything else? No, I think they all hit
0: it.
3: Go ahead, Ashley. I was going to say the only other thing I would add is just make sure to give yourself grace. You know, there's a lot on your shoulders. And like you said, we are kind of our worst enemies when it comes to putting that pressure on yourself so give Mm -hmm. yourself that grace to let those things go and to just be in that moment
1: to figure it out right it's a journey Mm -hmm. Um, I think what makes this group unique is that all of you do have husbands and so you do have someone to help and you know advocate for you let's talk a little bit about is there such thing as male postpartum are dads affected? And, you know, if so, is that something you experienced, you know, in your husbands and a little bit about that? Doctor, I'll, you know, refer to you. Is that something that exists? Is
4: that a thing? It is. Um, I've had actually had two patients whose husbands had to have inpatient hospital care after the babies were born because they were so depressed. So it's mm. a change for everyone. It's a change for okay. everyone. And I was worried about the wife and then she was like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm- <laughs> Going to go visit him when I leave you, and so she pulled through just fine. I thought she was put stress the entire time. So definitely, yeah, definitely. Did anyone's
1: husband experience this at all? My husband didn't
0: experience any um, depression or anything, but I know that it affects them. Like certain things that we go through, that they try to be strong for and Mm -hmm. try not to show that emotion. I think that's something that. I, this pregnancy and postpartum experience have tried to be more cognizant of because, you know, they have feelings and they want to be strong for you. And you're pouring all this, whatever emotion that you're feeling, you're pouring it on them, expecting them to be strong, expecting them to take the load when you can't hold the baby, can't feed the baby, can't feed yourself. You want to stay in the bed all day. Like those are the things that they bear the burden of, not really a burden, but you know what I'm saying, they hold that weight for you so that you can take care of yourself. But then we as women, as the mom, we have to make sure that we reciprocate that feeling to them once we get control of our emotions so that they feel a part of the process just as much as we do.
1: Yeah. And it, would you say it's just really like anything else, a matter of communication and you know, recognizing you know, what's going on with each other yeah, I think for me this time around,
0: my husband was able to say, okay, because I experienced postpartum before. So he's mm-hmm. like, hey, how are you feeling today? And I'm able to say like, okay, today's a good day. If I didn't have a good day, then he would say, all right, we'll have a better day tomorrow. But let's just take time to think about what happened today, think about what we could do better tomorrow. Um, If there's a different way that I can help you, just let me know. But just like you're saying, just have that communication flowing. I think is the best remedy for it.
2: Natalie,
1: how's my boy Terrence?
2: Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about something that may be a little TMI. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And this is an adult conversation. I'm not sure about the other moms, but when I was pregnant both times. Hormones were like, "What's up, big dog? <laughs> like, let's let's get this off. What's up? <laughs> what's up?" Um,
1: so when not you- what's up, big dog, huh? <laughs> well, not big dog. <laughs> I know. I- hey, no judgment though. I just wanted to, you know, clarify for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead Like Sorry, I said that's, I'm just sure how he, someone, that's just how I talk I'm to him. Like sure what's up man someone, <laughs> Is someone out here that can relate Go ahead Well my husband Is my homeboy So you know Sometimes like What's up big dog Like what's happening As man As he should be As he should be <laughs> So
2: anyway My homes <laughs> were high And it was um, We were intimate Fairly often during, during my pregnancies And so you go from that To you have to wait Six weeks After you have a baby To mm-hmm. be intimate So it's like High And then a boom drop that can cause some men to become cranky (laughs) i mean some some men not all but that can cause stress because it's so much built inside and then even after the six weeks you just be so tired because you're doing so much and you're up all a lot of the times at night and so I think communication is key beforehand so you can have that understanding with your man early on like listen this is just for a season we're gonna (laughs) get through this together I promise we're gonna snap back and it's gonna be great again just give me let's give us some time I just want to let you know that part too
4: but uh, okay I was gonna bring it up well that's a very common conversation I have so you're absolutely right
1: all right y'all hear that um Everybody take notes so that you can have these conversations. We don't want to have any um issues or any uh, false expectations, I guess, mm-hmm. uh after the fact. So, Ashley, did you have anything to add? I don't know if I we skipped say,
3: My husband was not um depressed, but he will still tell you to this day that he was traumatized. Um I had an emergency <laughs> C-section also. And so he, you know, we just were not expecting that because my first pregnancy went so well. I like labored at home all day. Then my water broke and then and the baby came. Like we got to the hospital. The baby was here within two hours. So it was like a breeze. So for this pregnancy to have the emergency C-section kind of caught us both off guard. And when they had me filleted open is what he Not was.
1: filleted. <laughs>
3: He said, there's no not seeing that. Like, he definitely just has this different visual of, you know, me as a woman, childbirth in general, after seeing how open I was. And he said, the doctors were just, you know, chatting about whatever was going on in the news or, you know, it was just like every other day, any other conversation. So that kind of caught him off guard a lot.
4: I agree. Dr. Rousey, did you want to... Uh... Chapman. It's true. Um, <laughs> commonly, And so um, most C sections go well. So we're talking about lunch or the next vacation. My husband jokes to this day that a delivery looks like a crime scene and that we're basically a bunch of psychopaths because we're chit chatting like nothing's going on when there's a mm. lot in the place. So yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be unsettling.
1: Well, I guess this leads to my last and final question. I think, I've seen and heard a lot about, you know, the importance of having an African-American OBGYN and do any of you ladies or all of you ladies and what have an African-American doctor and how do you feel that has helped you or if not that point of view as well. So we will start with uh, you, Natalie.
2: So with my hospital group, They rotate doctors. So I okay. had the same doctor for my appointments, but you never know who you're going to get when right. you have the baby. And so I had a white male who was so cool. And I, he's like my, my brother now. He's so great, 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 great doctor. But coincidentally, for both of my births, I ended up having the same black OBGYN lady both times. And let me tell you, it made a difference because after six hours of pushing, you're just exhausted and at the end of the six hours, I, I was at the end um, and I was just ah! like, I was literally screaming, like just trying to let it out. And she snapped her finger and said, no, Natalie, no, ma'am, you're not <laughs> doing that today. We're going to do this together, not breathe. And I told that to my white OBGYN after I had the baby. And he said, um, she doesn't do that to everybody. She does do this to her black. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I appreciated it because she related to me. And so- that connection, yeah. Yes, I was able to connect to her, and she did it both times for me, and so that, that was helpful because I feel like my, my white doctor, that's my boy, but he just would have been so gentle and relaxed,
1: Natalie. It's okay.
2: And I needed somebody to say, hey, get it together. So that's what I appreciated
1: about mine. That's awesome. What about you, Ashley?
3: I don't know. It's the same situation, the rotation um, So I actually did not have a GYN when I found out I was pregnant because I had just moved to Charlotte. So I had to kind of scramble and get one. Um, And so I did I same thing ended up in the rotation. Um, I did kind of solidify that I want to continue going to one of the black doctors I saw in that rotation um, after birth, but I don't know. It's the same thing. I think I've just gotten to the point with both pregnancies that I understand that it is a roll of the die as far as who will be available. So I kind of disconnected myself in the childbirth experience. But, you know, now I'll see that physician all the time. So I do prefer an African-American.
0: Crystal? I actually do not have an African-American OBGYN. My practice rotates, and I think that's the case for most here in Charlotte. I'm not sure, but I know a lot of ladies say that they have the rotation. But for both times, I was able to have my doctor actually deliver me the C section. Both times, I had the same anesthesiologist randomly both times, um, and they are all white. Um, one thing that I did prefer, and you know, I hope. The world don't get me on your podcast view, but, um, I just prefer a female for me. That was female first. It's mm-hmm. always been a preference for me as far as my, um, OBGYN goes. Um, but my first pregnancy, my doctor, she retired after I had my baby, her husband delivered me. And after he delivered me, I just kept him. So mm-hmm. that's the only happenstance that I have a male doctor now is because I just am going with what I was used to and what I know, but I do prefer a female. Now I never had an African-American doctor as far as OBGYN in my adult life, but in my mm-hmm. younger life, I did. Dr. Ross, um, can you speak
1: to, um, you know, the preference that, patients have, whether you're African-American or, you know, female first, like Crystal said, Um, I know you've been sitting in my chair and, you know, clients uh, automatically, oh, I need to have your information, you know, you're, you know, black female, I trust, it's like an instant kind Mm -hmm. of trust factor there. So do you mind speaking to, um, to that point?
4: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, Our black women tend not to do as well. Um, Fortunately, these ladies have all had a great experience in their pregnancies and their delivery. But by and large, if you sack all ethnicities together, we tend not to have the same outcomes as other ethnicities. And there are several factors that come into that. There are some providers who don't listen and provide the care that they should. Women of African-American descent also tend to come to the table with medical problems. Um, so, if we have hypertension, if we have, hyper, if we have diabetes, if we are overweight, we are more inclined to have problems with our blood pressure, we're more inclined to go into labor early, we're more inclined to have, um, you know, postpartum depression and things like this. All of these things are risk factors for unfortunate obstetric outcomes. But that being said, you have to know your population. If you know that your patients are at risk for these things. There are things that we do that are standard of care that make sure that we get our babies home as safely as other ethnicities do. I consider myself fortunate to work with a group of people who I think all do that, regardless of race. This is my second job as an OB. My first job, I was in Chicago. I worked there for two years. I was the only Black woman in that group. I'm the only Black woman in my group now. But we all come to the table with our goal to provide the same care for all patients. Medicine is standard of care. If you're practicing standard of care, all of your patients get great care. Now, I have some patients who say they prefer a woman because we've been through some of these things. So there's this insight and soft touch that's there. That's true. But the men who go into OB do so for a reason as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand the, the you know, they, they understand the ins and outs of all that's related to coming to the regular GYN and visit and delivering. It's an intimate experience. You're very vulnerable. You know, we're laying there naked on the, you know, it's it's weird. You think after all these years, we'd have a better way of getting all this stuff done. But we don't. But uh, I think by and large that our goal is to get mom and baby, you know, through the process as safe as possible and give the best care possible. But, you know, are there places and are there practices where those things don't happen? Absolutely.
1: Right. Right. Well, ladies, I am out of wine. I don't know about you, but I wanted to see. does anyone else have anything to add to the conversation? Like I said, you know, there, I wanted to get, You ladies together because, um, well, this podcast in general is, like I said, for listeners to have a sneak peek into the conversations that we have and I have in the chair. So there is someone out there that can connect to each and every one of your stories. So is there, I don't want to leave any stone untouched, unturned. Does anyone have anything to add before I go and re-up and get ready to watch um, Kamala
3: Justine, can you give your input on um I would say like the Jamaican casseroles and things like that, putting that on your shedding and your edges? What is your professional opinion on that?
1: I kinda I kind of lean toward the same as um Dr. Rouse with the vitamins. Um if it's something going on internally, you know, then it has to be adjusted internally. There's no external factor that is going to, like, you know, there's no magic potion. I know everybody wants the magic potion, but (laughs) it just doesn't exist. It's kind of the same thing. Like, for instance, I've had my experience with alopecia. Like, I can put all of the stuff I want on top, but it's something that's happening inside your body. So it won't hurt, you know, but is it going to be that magic potion? No, Um, I would like you said, stray away from any styles that are gonna, you know, cause tension that are gonna cause friction, leave it alone, let it breathe, you know, and like you said, if you need to, you know, look a certain way, make those adjustments then but I would just let it do its thing. That's and don't stress out about it, because that only makes it worse. So that's my take on it. That's but I'm working. I'm working on some things that are gonna get me from behind the chair. So if I can figure out that and how to make gray hair disappear, <laughs> y'all won't be able to reach me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies. Well, again, I really appreciate you um, taking the time um, this evening to talk with me. I'm going to let you get back to your families and I will see you soon. All Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. ladies. Bye. Bye. Good night.